You're listening to Conversations for Chiropractors by OUM, a pro-assurance program where we provide expert advice for your practice when you need it most. We connect you with industry leaders to discuss timely topics so you can listen, learn, and get back to caring for your patients. Now, let's get cracking. Hello, and welcome to Conversations for Chiropractors, presented by OUM Malpractice Insurance. My name is Dr. Kirsten K. Shepard. I am happy to be the host, and our guest today is one of my favorite individuals in chiropractic, Dr. Tom Nooner. And Dr. Nooner is, in addition to being one of the OUM committee, uh, physician committee uh, advisors, which we sit on that committee together, he is also a chiropractor and an attorney. So Dr. Nooner, can you please share some of your background with our listeners? Yeah, for sure, Kirsten. Thank you for that introduction, I appreciate it. And it's good to be here to to, uh, talk to some of our colleagues. Um, So some of my background, you know, where do I start? Um, I went to chiropractic college at National, um, graduated in 1984. And at that time, you know, we had a lot of uh, professors at that college who had gone through some of the worst years in the chiropractic history and profession. Um, I'm sure everybody's heard of Dr. Joseph Jancy, you know, people like that. Um, So mixing that into, you know, as part of my pedigree, I think is really important because it tells us, you know, where we come from as a profession and then to kind of piggyback and hook my cart to their train um, of where we're headed as a profession. You know, it's kind of like some of the guiding um, things that helped spark my career and helped help move me forward through where I went. But that's that's the early educational background. I came out of school then um, back to Michigan. Um, I'm, I'm near Detroit, Michigan, and opened up a, a private practice. And I absolutely found out very quickly how um, professions are not very joined together. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We all have silo-based practices. We're not communicating with one another in our same profession, and we weren't communicating with each other in other professions. You know, a lot of people treat musculoskeletal issues, and um, and much to my chagrin, you know, where are the referrals? Where's the communication? You know, where's the uh, ability to work together as a coordinated team? So that was lacking right off from where, right from where go. Um, and I was so naive. I just was out knocking on doors and building relationships. Um, one early practitioner I talked to was a neurosurgeon. He had operated a couple of my patients. And he said, well, why don't you come down to the theater and watch, watch me do my work? So I went down there and um, you know, in the hospital room with him, he was operating my patient. And he, he hands me a tool to hold. Um, of course, everybody looks up like, oh, here we go. But you know, one thing led to another and we started having this relationship. Um, and that's all about you know, relational coordination and there's been some great publications of that, of how powerful that is when you go forward and you start building relational coordination um, with people in systems. It started with that doctor. His, actually, his name was Dr. Lukalski. Uh, he was a renowned uh, neurosurgeon in Michigan. He's been retired for quite a few years, years now. But as that progressed, I started saying, you know what, I could use somebody in my office working with me along those lines. So then I started looking into um, you know, hiring 
and getting people into my office that would fit the role that I don't fit. Um, you know, what does a surgeon look like in an office? What does a PCP look like? How about physical therapy, PM&R, so on and so forth? And I quickly found out there were barriers for that. That's how I ended up as a medical attorney, um, is how do you get, you know, these different people to work um, under these varied contracts and varied, you know, federal regulations and state regulations and so on and so forth. So as you're progressing down the timeline of my career, I did have a very successful integrated practice. We had PM&R in my office. Um, we did have neurosurgery in the office. We've had Cairo, uh, um, of course, is the mainstay with physical therapy, massage therapy, um, neurology. I even had a PharmD in there um, working in. And everybody brings something different to the table that is of value to the patient. Um, now, here's the, here's the thing. We were an integrated practice, but we still were not coordinated. Mm. So going forward, I, I was still lacking that piece. And that's what led me to form a company with a couple of colleagues of mine called Spanker Partners, where we literally go out now and we teach other parties on how to have not only an integrated practice, but a coordinated practice based on best evidence. And that's where I'm at now. We started Spanker Partners and um, 2013, and um, we're in several different states. We're um, integral to the primary spine provider movement, which is um, a huge role for Cairo in that. The University of Pittsburgh um, is teaching the certification on that. Um, and we go in there and we implement these different um, spine platforms. Uh, we have some IP that we've published, and we implement that in a, in a lot of different care sectors. So that's kind of like my uh, my background and career in a nutshell. That is amazing. And I love what you said about the need to um, co-treat and form these cohesive um, specialty groups or these groups within the profession, because we can't expand it if we're not treating the entire patient. And that's one of the challenges that we see from, you know, the chiropractic perspective is that, you know, the patients that are coming to us are coming from those fields where they're compartmentalizing care, which doesn't benefit anyone because we know as chiropractors, everything's connected. I also love the fact that you shared the story of how you got started with all of this with, you know, the neurosurgeon and being in the actual surgery room with him when he's doing a procedure on, you know, one of the patients. I had an experience like that. And I feel like neurosurgeons, you know, they, they really get it. They get us and they, they really understand um, our deeper level of the science, which is amazing. Uh, my experience with that was working, um, co-treating a patient and going to visit because I wanted to meet this doctor in person. And so we were, we had planned a lunch. And unfortunately, when I arrived at his office with lunch, he had been called for an emergency surgery and actually asked if I had time and my, my partner, who's a medical doctor as well, if we had time, you know, to just go to the OR and meet him. So they walked us in there. And the most amazing thing is he was removing Harrington rods from a patient. 
And just to see that was incredible. It was incredible. That's awesome. So, you know, it gives us a better level level of understanding. But what I like is you um, are involved in, you know, this group that's not only looking at it from a practice perspective, you all are actually expanding it for the profession, which is huge. And kudos to you all for that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the partnership with the university and that program looks like? Is that open to chiropractors as well? Is it only for for uh, students of the university, or or tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Kirsten, there's so many so many moving parts, you know. Um, so so just to kind of continue on and, and paint a picture. Um, let me start out with public perception. You know, going to national, um, we had a real strong driver in there as far as leadership, wanting a third primary care doctor out there, meaning Cairo. So we already had DOs, we already had PZPs. National was real strong and chasing that holy grail. We have to get our message out there that we're primary doctors also. We just don't use drugs or surgery. We have all that other palate of solutions that we can bring to bear for a patient. Um, so there's that. Now, when you combine that um, and the training and what's in a lot of our heart and soul as chiropractors, the public perception reality is what really drives um, how you're utilized. And the public perception is molded by multiple things, not only by what you say and do, but by what people of high cultural authority say that you do and excel at. At the end of the day, the public looks at us as um, musculoskeletal ex- experts, especially in the spine. And yes, there's nutrition, and yes, there's other things that we can bring to bear quite a bit, right? But the public perception is huge when it comes to musculoskeletal. Um, so now put that in on the back shelf for a second and think about this. Um, if, if I go to place a person in a hospital, um, a chiropractor, let's put a chiropractor in a hospital. The administration says, wow, that's great. Patients love them. 98%, you know, satisfaction rate. Um, however, that chiropractor can only generate, you know, about 400,000 a year for the hospital, utilizing 350 square feet of space, roughly. That administrator also knows that PM&R is going to bring in two to five million and a neurosurgeon in that same spot you know, 10 to 50 million. So who are they going to put in that space? It does come down to dollars and cents. It's, it's, I hate to say it, but we've been told that outright. So there has to be um, a different way, a different way to bring you in, you know, and, and make use of your value in. So now you start to mix that with um, the plan. You know, when I, whenever I say plan, I mean insurance plan. When I say member, I mean, you know, like, people out there at large in the, in the community. So um, here's the problem with healthcare in general. It's been burnt to the ground in the United States. It's unsustainable. Um, it's, you know, spine care went from 15 billion a year um, payment to spine care. And that's for everything. And within a short amount of time, it's, it's up to like 200 billion now. And as far as we can tell about a third of that is waste. That's a lot of billions that are wasted. Um, and these are facts. They're just facts. Enjoying the conversation? 
go ahead and subscribe so you never miss another episode again. Now, let's get back to the show. Another issue is the opioid crisis. Back pain, you know, is a wonderful gateway and a door opener for people to have opioid addiction. We all know that if they don't get the career up front, the proper care up front, they go down a slippery slope of injections and uh, medications, then they get the opioid, opioids, and then their physician cuts them off, you know, because they need more, because it's not effective after two weeks. Nobody tells the patient that they need more to make that same difference. And before you know it, they're on the street and they're adding to this opioid epidemic, you know, and uh, people like, you know, the pharmacies and whatnot didn't help. You know, some of these um, companies that have been held to criticism and actually broken up by the government. So we're dealing with that. And the bottom line is um, what we started to design as a society is value-based healthcare and value-based healthcare rewards um, clinicians and care delivery sectors for delivering the best value. And there's equations you can look up. Porter has a great equation for value-based healthcare. And it's something like value equals the cost of the care and patient satisfaction divided by outcomes. So when you do that, you start to find out, wow, if we have a pathway of care of getting people to the right person at the right time, getting them all to work together in this pathway, this care pathway, um, then out the other end pops this high value. So what it looks like, it looks like a recipe. You know, if you're gonna build a cake from Duncan Hines, you know, you read the back of the box and it says, do this, do this, do this, do this. Um, all the ingredients are there. If you don't follow that pathway, that recipe, you're not gonna get a good cake. And that's what healthcare is like. If you start with a surgeon, you might get really high satisfied, you know, patient coming out of that surgery, but what if you didn't need it at the beginning? Um, So the pathway helps to define um, what's the best care that fits into Porter's equation. Now we're left with, okay, which providers belong along the road of that pathway? And guess who delivers the highest value care um, and create, can treat the most amount of patients for spine, which is what you're identified as, as already as a Cairo, um, is Cairo. So Cairo's PTs and TCPs deliver the most um, efficient care up front for these type of uh, pathways. So what happens there, I know this story gets long, but what happens there is as these pathways are, dis- are designed, um, uh, researchers come along and they start to publish um, what's called a primary spine provider, and they make an opinion in white papers, um, Scott Haldeman, and he says, you know what we really need as a primary spine uh, care provider. Um, essentially, let's train these already highly qualified people on how to fit in a pathway, where they belong in a care sector, um, and then utilize them at that beginning first touch um, position. So early contact providers, if you see Cairo, um, PT, and PCP first for that, um, you're going to get much better outcomes. So University of Pittsburgh has taken a lot of that training that we provide um, from spine care partners, even added their own, and they have a postgraduate certification course to certify Cairo's as PCPs. They also certify PCPs, and they also certify um, PTs. Just to wrap your brain around the whole thing, Kirsten, think of like, what the heck is a hospitalist? How did they evolve? Who teaches a hospitalist to be a hospitalist? You know, what's the best type of 
um, person to be hospitalist and probably a, a generalist or internal medicine or family practice, right? And then there's a, um, um, the university-based systems that give you that stamp, but then there's also um, private sector um, areas that utilize that profession more. So essentially that's what um, is going on when it comes to PSPs. Now, do all chiros have to be PSPs? Absolutely not. Um, all, in, all I'm illustrating this for is that there's a movement nationally to recognize our gifts and our talents and our skill sets as a profession um, and, and, and trying to help solve some of these national issues in, in healthcare, both on an outcome side for patients, but also for a financial side, which our nation needs because we can't sustain the healthcare system where we're at. So. And it's not, you know, right now we're not dealing with a healthcare system. It's really a, a sick care system, especially when you go back and look at that data that you presented, you know, with all these billions of dollars in, in changes. But how effectively, or well, let me rephrase that. How soon do you really feel the change is going to be received, especially when we know that these hospitals are... Mm -hmm in the market to make money it's like yeah it's it's not about making sense it's about making dollars which is a problem with the system as a whole but as you stated before that same 350 square foot room that a chiropractor can generate that four hundred thousand dollars for you know and the you know surgeon can generate 10 millions of dollars plus you know how soon do you think that that change is yeah. going to come and i know you know we have to do our lobbying i know you know we have to have our patients advocating mm -hmm. for our profession you know but when we're still looking at the restrictions you know because of you know the profit margins being so great for these groups how long do you see this transition even with the certification which is fantastic happening how how long do you think it's going to take for this transition to happen just a general estimate <laughs> no it's it's that's a great question and it's happening now you know we've seen a lot of movement in the last uh even 15 years since um since I started spine care partners like for instance see, again the best thing that happened to us as a profession I'm talking chiropractors the best thing that happened is the realization that financially healthcare cannot continue the way it has. You know, we spend tons of money as a nation, yet we're like, you know, the 25th sickest as far as industrial countries go. Why is that? It's because we're actually doing harm. We're spending money to do harm. And people, you know, don't like to hear that. But to get down to the grassroots level, take that same hospital administrator. Um, that I talked about, when she is forced into value-based contracting, which is where mm. what payers are doing, um, she now has to say, uh oh, I have to deliver value. So what does that even mean? You know, there's a lot, there's a whole world out there that measures value um, on people that go through a system. And there's metrics that you use. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with HEDA scores or different types of um, MIPS programs that the government has or different ways of measuring a clinician's value. Um, there's even attribution that's going on as far as big data is proving that when somebody sees Dr. Kirsten and her referral group, they have a better outcome than somebody who does not see her. That's where we're headed and hospitals are, are in that mix right now. So it's happening now. 
In fact, hospitals, um, through a couple of different legislative acts through through uh, our federal government, hospitals have to publish. You know, what is your data? How much does it cost? What are your outcomes? You know, there's certain metrics that they have to satisfy. And um, and all of a sudden, you know, do they want to do that? No. Um, it's also happening to us, by the way, as individual clinicians. Um, that's next on the federal government's list, which will have to be happening this year and next, is publication of your personal data, your outcomes, your efficacy, your efficiency index, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it's happening. And, and once you're paid for that, right now, chances are you're not, unless you belong to an ACO or a hybrid program like what we have in Michigan, you're probably not being paid for the value part of it. You're being paid like a lemonade stand. The more you do, the more you get paid. So guess what we're incentivized to do, right? Um, and there's room for that too. People want to use me as a massage therapist, you know, when I'm a Cairo. And it's great. I, I, make, I can improve their you know, well-being in there. Maybe their athletic function or just, you know, um, somebody to talk to as they're receiving treatment. You know, all the, all the different things that we do. Um, but what the people who are paying the bill are trying to say is that, okay, we have to pay for things that work. How do we know if it works? We have to collect data and we have to prove it. How do we know that? So to come full circle and answer your question, it's happening now. So the, the, uh, in, the, in the states where we've started, we've seen an 8% uptick in Cairo utilization. Um, and that's, that's, that's not bad. When you're only seeing you know, 8 to 15% of the population anyway, right? Um, and you can you know, increase that amount, that's great. So where did all that money and referral come from? It came from the people who were in charge realizing that we need to start somebody with Dr. Kirsten versus Dr. X because the outcomes are, are going to be better and she can take care of 85% of the population. It really is that simple. So if you change the incentives, you change the pattern of what's happened. Um, and right now your, your value is not recognized. As it becomes recognized in a paper value, um, your utilization goes up. I agree. And that that's wonderful information. So for those of our listeners that want to participate or are interested in learning more about um, being a primary spine care provider uh, and the certifications, where should they go for that? And also how can they contact uh, you or your company for more information? Yeah, there's um, the easiest ways to figure out, you know, um, what you want to do as an individual. So um, one group you can you can look at is the Primary Spine Provider Network. That's one of our sub companies that Spiker Partners owns. Primary Spine Provider Network. Um, if you go there and just look at the materials, that'll tell you a lot of things on how you can go forward as a primary spine provider. If you want to go through a certification process and start that route first, simply get a hold of UPIT, um, University of Pittsburgh. Um, if you want to start building relationships, you know, with area PCPs or your um, area insurance plan, then um, probably the easiest way is to get a hold of Spike Your Partners or myself, um, and we can help you move that conversation along. Um, so there's a lot of different ways, you know, to poke poke the bear. Um, and really, you know, you don't have to contact anybody, really. If you just go out and start meeting your other colleagues in the community, um, maybe give some grand rounds, um, 
There's tons of material you can give grand rounds with to help educate your PCP counterpart. Um, there's a lot of things that way. Um, and OUM has, has uh, allowed networking opportunities also. So that at the end of the day, you know, stick close to OUM and watch the website, watch the materials that come across. Um, and it'll help you help you go forward. But it all starts with you. You know, what do you want to do and where do you want to do it? And don't don't set your limits on on what these preconceived goals might be. Um, because man, you're just a diamond in a rough out there. And people need to see what you have to offer. There are a lot of ways to deliver it. And Kirsten, there's a lot of there's a lot of care sectors. You know, you can go to a hospital, you can work in there, you can work in a neurosurgical office. We have uh, a doctor that has a you know a nice neurosurgical um, spine center out in out in Beth Israel Deaconess. That's a huge system. Um, we myself, I worked with a neurosurgical group over here in Michigan. We started my back, the Michigan. Um, um, back collaborative, you know, with Blue Cross and Henry Ford Health System. So there's just a ton of stuff. We're also working with the VA. Um, we're working with uh, um, um, the conjoint uh, clinics and groups uh, really across the nation. We're working with Blue Cross, obviously, and in, in, uh, we're solid in three states and soon to be in about seven states. So just just get out there. Slowly but surely, it's definitely making an impact. And especially if, you know, you've already assisted in increasing 8%, you know, in, in, of growth in our profession with what, what you all are doing. I think that's incredible. And uh, Dr. Nooner, I definitely would love to have you back for a part two. I'm sure we'll have uh, some questions coming in. Uh, but for those listeners that may want to reach out uh, to you specifically, uh, what's a great contact and what's the best way that, that they can reach out? Yeah, the best way is through um, tom.nooner at spinecarepartners.com. So tom.nooner, N-E-U-N-E-R, at spinecarepartners.com. Dr. Nooner, I want to thank you so very much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule with all the wonderful things that you are doing for the profession. I appreciate you. I appreciate your mind. And I appreciate your commitment to our future of chiropractic and those patients that we serve. So I look forward to scheduling part two of this conversation and hopes that we can delve a little bit more into the hospital aspect and what that may look like uh, for some of the docs and future docs that are listening to this podcast. So thank you again, Dr. Nooner. And uh, yeah, uh, wonderful, wonderful accolades, Kirsten. I appreciate um, the time you gave me today to speak. And that's it for this week's episode of Conversations for Chiropractors. If you enjoyed what you heard, don't forget to leave a review on your streaming platform and subscribe so you don't miss a conversation each time we post a new episode. To stay connected with us or if you have any ideas for future topics to discuss, visit us at oumchiropractor.com.